For more than 65 years, Marin Health Medical Center, formerly Marin General Hospital, has been meeting our community's health care needs. And we are proud to present the Healing Podcast. Here's Bill Klaproth. Of all cancers affecting both men and women, colorectal cancer, cancer of the colon or rectum, is the second leading cause of death from cancer in the United States. Fortunately, the death rate from colorectal cancer is declining, and one reason for this decline is an increase in preventative screening. And here to talk with us about colon cancer screening is Dr. Christopher Hogan, a gastroenterologist and a member of the medical staff at Marin General Hospital. Dr. Hogan, thanks your time. So first off, can you tell us about colon cancer and who is most at risk? So colon cancer um, is basically a a cancer of the large intestine. um, So that's the the lower part of the intestinal tract. Um, And um, the people who are most at risk are actually uh, people who are older. So about 90% of cases are going to occur in, in patients who are over the age of 50. Um, and that's in, in large part why our uh, screening tends to start for average risk patients at, at age 50. Um, there are other variations in terms of risk as well that have to do with uh, things like um, male versus female. So males are slightly uh, increased risk compared to females. Um, and then additionally, uh, race, um, actually African-Americans at increased risk compared to, for example, um, uh, white or Asian population. Um, there are also lifestyle uh, components that come into play. Um, for example, things that keep you healthier in, gen- in general uh, tend to, to decrease your risk of, of uh, colon cancer. Um, so those who are smoking tobacco, uh, drinking uh, lots of alcohol, eating lots of red meat or are obese are going to be at increased risk of colon cancer as well. Mm-hmm. And does genetics play a big part in this? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And so, um, you know, we just kind of touched upon the, the environmental factors there, but in large part, genetics are going to drive your risk for, uh, for colon cancer as well. Um, and that can be uh, uh, as simple as having a, a first-degree relative with colon cancer or multiple second-degree relatives with colon cancer. Uh, and then there's uh, some more complex cases um, where there's actually uh, hereditary cancer syndromes, uh, for example, Lynch syndrome, Um, and these would put uh, an entire uh, family population at risk um, and therefore would require uh, screening at significantly earlier ages. So there's a lot of factors there, race, lifestyle, gender, genetics. So tell us then, why is getting a colonoscopy so important? Yeah, great question. So colonoscopy is one of the tests that's been shown to uh, decrease um, the, the risk of ever getting colon cancer um, and then also to uh, decrease uh, mortality from colon cancer. Um, and so uh, it, it's a screening test uh, in part to find colon cancer if it's there uh, and find it early so that it'll be more treatable and decrease the risk of, of death. Um, but additionally, uh, it has the ability to prevent colon cancer. Um, and for a lot of cancers, we don't have a test like this, um, but colon cancer um, is somewhat unique in that sense where we're actually able to prevent the cancer from ever occurring um, in most cases uh, if, um, if a person takes part in screening as recommended. Are there other screening options besides a traditional colonoscopy? 
There are, yeah. So there's there's certainly other screening options. Um, the the classic ones that that people may know about are are going to be the stool tests, uh, and historically that's a, a guaiac based uh, stool test for occult blood. So basically to look for evidence of uh, microscopic bleeding, um, and um, uh, fecal immunochemical test um, is another one, and then more recently a fecal DNA test. Um, uh, for example, Cologuard. And these are all, um, I should point out, these are all screening tests. And so if any of these were to come back positive, um, that would then reflect to, uh, to a colonoscopy, which, which would then be the gold standard and, and diagnostic test at that point. Um, other options would be a, a CT colonography, um, which historically was called a virtual colonoscopy. Um, and uh, another option is a partial colonoscopy, which is a flexible sigmoidoscopy, which looks at, at just uh, under half of the colon. Now, is the colonoscopy the gold standard, as you mentioned, because you can see things uh, that you can't see on the other screening methods? Um, so it's the, yeah, it's the gold standard because it's going to be the, the most sensitive test for picking up uh, a colon cancer if it's there. Um, but it's also, uh, in essence, the gold standard um, because it has that extra component of being not just a screening test, but also a preventative test. And so, for example, in, in my office, a lot of the conversations that I'll have around screening um, uh, with my patients will, will touch upon um, not just uh, do you want to screen for colon cancer, find it early if it's there, uh, but do you also want to prevent colon cancer from, from ever occurring? Um, and that's, I think, in large part why, why most patients end up choosing colonoscopy as their, their primary screening test for, uh, for colon cancer. Um, uh, estimates about two-thirds of people will end up going uh, straight for a colonoscopy as opposed to those other modalities, which uh, in essence are just screening tests but, uh, but don't prevent the colon cancer. Right. You know, I think one of the things that scares people away is the prep. Can you tell us about that? Because I have had a colonoscopy, and I can tell you, oh, it's not it's not that bad. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's a that's a that's a funny thing. We often say, you know, that uh, the 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 colonoscopy is is not a not a big deal in terms of um, the patient experience because uh, the way we perform them. Um, the patient is asleep, and so you don't feel the colonoscopy. Um, but the hard part is the bowel prep. Um, with that being said, uh, the good news is the bowel prep uh, keeps getting easier and easier. Um, it's uh, classically now a, a split-dose bowel prep where you're taking half of the prep the night before, half the morning of, um, but there's a lot of options out there now. Um, there didn't used to be as many bowel preps available, and many of the options are now lower-volume preps. Um, so when you think about that gallon jug that people, uh, you know, have to drink for, for a colonoscopy, um, there, there are some patients who may still need that option, but for most of my patients, um, able to prescribe a, a lower volume uh, bowel prep, um, which is then uh, tends to be better tolerated. Um, one other thing to, to point out is there's um, uh, data recently showing that um, staying on the clear liquid diet for the whole day prior to a colonoscopy um, is, uh, is not really necessary at this point. And so we actually, uh, at Marin Gastroenterology, we recommend that patients have a low-residue uh, breakfast the day before their um, procedure so that you have a little bit of a base um, to be on that clear liquid diet the rest of the day. And, and again, that's the day kind of preceding the actual uh, colonoscopy, so we call that prep day. Mm-hmm. 
Again, not that bad. Get your colonoscopy. It's such a preventable disease. You're not allowed to get it because of the testing method, and it is so preventable. So let me ask you this. After the colonoscopy, we hear this, oh, they found a polyp. Can you tell us what that is and what that means if one is found? Certainly. So a polyp is basically a growth within the colon, and there's many different types of polyps, and uh, two major camps are going to be uh, benign polyps and then the benign but precancerous polyps, um, and so those are, uh, are, are called adenomas. And so those ones with precancerous potential are the ones that we especially want to take out during a colonoscopy uh, to actually prevent those polyps from ever developing into a colon cancer. Um, the, the, again, with many different types of polyps, some of them are going to look like um, a little growth, almost like a cauliflower uh, um, stalk and head. But there's um, other polyps that are uh, flat polyps, and these occur more frequently in the right side of the colon um, and can be difficult uh, to pick up even with colonoscopy. Um, however, uh, with newer techniques and awareness of these types of polyps, um, we're now having increasing rates in general of picking up even these flat and difficult to detect polyps so that they can be removed and reduce risk of colon cancer. Um, and that's in large part why uh, the, the quality of the preparation for the procedure is so important. So the hard work that the patient's doing to get ready for the procedure is important. Um, and then um, our ability to give a high-quality colonoscopy uh, is really important with a high adenoma detection rate to detect those polyps and take them out um, to basically give the patient the best chance of reducing their risk of ever getting colon cancer. And if a polyp is found then... How often do you need to see that person back again? So it depends on the type of the polyp, uh, the size of the polyp, and the number of polyps that, that we remove. For example, if you have one to two small precancerous polyps that are you know, tubular adenomas, kind of a, a classic finding, uh, typically you'll come back in five years instead of the 10-year time frame for average risk screening. If you have uh, three or more polyps, then it's usually three years, and then with some higher-risk polyps, three years as well. And these polyps grow slowly. That's why if you're clean, they say come back in 10 years because it takes that long for them to establish. Is that right? That's right. So the, the natural history of a polyp forming to becoming a colon cancer has been shown to be, on average, about 10 years. Uh, with notable exceptions, especially, uh, for example, some of those flat polyps on the right side of the colon. Um, but in general, uh, we, we do say that it tends to be about a 10-year time frame, and that's why we uh, have set that 10-year uh, average risk screening time frame. Mm -hmm. Dr. Hogan, we appreciate you being on with us today. For more information, visit maringeneral.org slash healthconnection. That's maringeneral.org slash healthconnection connection. And this is the Healing Podcast brought to you by Marin General Hospital. I'm Bill Klaproth. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Healing Podcast brought to you by Marin Health Medical Center, formerly Marin General Hospital. And for more information, go to mymarinhealth.org. And if you found this podcast helpful, please share it on your social channels and be sure to check out our full podcast library for topics of interest to you. I'm Bill Klaproth. Thanks for listening.